You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, episode 22. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, David Michael, and I am very glad to be here with you today. I am still reeling from a show this past weekend thrown by my friends at Three Dimensional Entertainment here in Dayton, Ohio. I got to see the legendary DJ craze, and it was everything that I hoped for out of that show. It was just an amazing night. This uh, conglomeration of these hard-hitting, really good local DJs and then, you know, Craze, who just needs no introduction. Just an awesome show. And, you know, it got me really pumped up because I I talk a lot about my own little uh, local scene on the podcast. And Dayton is a city which has really uh, struggled quite a bit with its nightlife and its underground music scene and its DJ culture and that sort of thing where it's always had this underlying um, support and tightly knit group of people who are really into it but it's just it's always been hard to get something really going and uh, uh, in the past year or two things have really just exploded here in Dayton and I've become really proud of my city and the people who are making things happen so just a quick shout out to three-dimensional entertainment uh, the volume series and um, of course, John Chapel with his EDM Tuesday for just keeping things really moving. And there are other groups as well doing uh, Thursday night shows that I haven't checked out yet. Uh, Dayton's really crushing it right now. So just a little shout out for my local guys because I know some of you guys listen. Um, great show. And it was really cool to see uh, some of my favorite locals up there at the end of the night with DJ Craze just getting on there and freestyle scratching over their sets and he was smiling ear to ear and he tweeted positive things about our city just really cool to see that sort of positive interaction uh makes you happy to uh to know that your city is being reflected in a good light with people of that sort of status in the community so very cool stuff i'm very excited and today i want to talk a little bit about being a snob, um, and what that means and how it can affect your DJing. Um, On the VIP list, my uh, email newsletter, I sent out this question, how do you think that um, being a snob can affect your DJing? And uh, one thing that I maybe didn't realize or think about before sending that out is, uh, so I have a, a, a broad audience geographically so I have people who have joined the email list the VIP list from you know Argentina and um, Europe you know all over Europe and not not just in the in the states and I didn't realize that maybe not everybody even knows what that means so I got a couple of responses saying uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure what being a snob or what snobbery is uh, you know, not realizing, oh yeah, I guess this this email goes out to uh, Africa and Asia and all over the place. So, um, so we kind of explore that a little bit. What is it? 
really mean to be a snob? Is it a good or bad thing as far as your DJing goes and um, your thoughts on the music industry? Uh, So I sent this question out and I'll be kind of trickling in responses from the VIP listers who gave their thoughts. So this is is a semi-interactive episode of the podcast uh, where you'll be getting probably just as much thoughts from uh, you guys as me. So a pretty pretty cool way to uh, get some extra insight on this topic. So I, I wrote a little list. Um, just to kind of, you may be a snob if, so what do I mean? Uh, oh, but before we get into that, I do want to, I, I, you know, I start the, the episode off. I've been doing this for a few episodes in a row now where I just start off with a few general comments from around passionatedj.com, whether that's a comment on an article or an ultimate guide or podcast or something like that. And in episode 21, the last episode I got, uh, which was the, uh, uh, I, I want to be a DJ, now what? Which is a sort of audio guide or companion to my ultimate guide called How to Become a DJ. And I got one comment from somebody who identified himself as Reticuli. And all he said was, there are too many, quote, advice gurus in this field. I know it's a little out of character for me to address what I would consider to be a negative comment right off the bat here on the podcast. And I don't mean to, to do that to, um, you know, stir anything up, but it's, it's something that's worth addressing because, um, when I first read it, of course, I got a little miffed about that. Like, why are you just coming at me? I'm just trying to help people. Um, I get what he's saying though. I, I, I know what it's like to get frustrated with, you know, having a whole bunch of people, telling you what to do and what the best way is and the top five ways to do this and that in the same field and hearing them over and over again. And some of them are the same advice over and over and some of them are in conflict. Um, I gave a very simple one-line response to this, which was just sharing my thoughts and I'm very open with the fact that we're all learning together here. And that's why I wanted to bring that up. You know, I've said this before on the podcast. I don't consider myself a guru or... Um, as having any kind of authority in this space, um, I feel like I am passionate and motivated and willing and eager to learn and to help others learn along with me. And I really hope that you all, uh, get that, what I'm, what I'm trying to, to do here in sharing my knowledge with other like-minded people who, really want to do this uh, what I would consider to be the right way as far as building an audience and and building a a DJ career and furthering the craft and doing it in a positive way. And uh, so I I don't want to make any claims here that I have any level of authority or experience that I don't. I'm not brand new to DJing and I do know a thing or two and I feel like I'm a very good DJ or I wouldn't be behind this microphone right now. But um, I don't claim to have any kind of special uh, special knowledge or, you know, the one trick to turn you into a superstar or anything like that. I'm, I'm not a guru. Uh, I'm just a dude who's trying to help out and share what he's, he's learned and who likes to talk about this stuff. So just wanted to throw that out there at the beginning of this podcast. I hope that my message resonates with you guys. And if it doesn't, you are always welcome to leave comments or write in and let me know where you disagree. Um, If all you want to do is just 
outright be negative and and um, attacking of course i will delete those kind of posts but outside of that i'm always willing to to leave the discussion open and, and have a chat about this stuff and my mind's always open if you disagree with something that i say um you know i'm willing to hear you out and maybe uh, you can enlighten me so let's keep this sort of synergy going as we move forward and uh that's all I want to say about that. So, anyways, how snobbery harms your DJing. So, let's let's talk about snobbery. What is it? You may be a snob if you have a habit of belittling the music choices of others. So, right away, that's probably striking a nerve with somebody because I know I'm sure that especially as passionate DJs, we've all done this at some point to where we just even if we don't say it out loud, maybe you cringe a little bit when some when you find out that somebody is a fan of X or Y type of music. So this this could be an indicator that that you've got some snobbery going on. You have a habit of belittling the music choices of others. Now that doesn't mean you have to like every kind of music or even appreciate it. Um, it I think belittling is the key word there. So you may be a snob if you have strong opinions on what quote real fans are you may be a snob if your interest in an artist is inversely proportional to their popularity now what i mean by that is if you discover an artist and you are all about them you think they make great music or play great sets or whatever it is whatever it is that draws you to this particular artist and you're you're almost uh you love sharing this person's work or this group or whomever and then they finally start gaining popularity because of other people who are doing what you're doing. It's word of mouth and word spreading about this this person's music or this group's music or sets or techniques or whatever it is that stands out about them and suddenly they become more popular and then you're not so interested in them anymore because you're not special. You're not the person who found it. Um, I think this is particularly relevant to DJs because a lot of people are DJs because they want to be that sort of um, curator, that person that finds new music and shares it with an audience. And there's nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, I think it's important to remember that good music is good music, whether or not it's popular or uh, your friends have heard of it or it's played on the radio or what have you um good music should be judged or music should be judged objectively is it good or not does it sound good does it fit with your sound will that sound resonate with your particular audience to me it seems way more important than whether or not they are popular or have a lot of plays on soundcloud and so on uh, you may be a snob if you make character judgments based on one's taste in music uh, so if somebody, I don't know, listens to trance music and you think that they're, uh, I don't know, an old raver hippie or whatever who does a lot of pills, or you somebody listens to hip hop and you think that they're uh, some kind of thug or what have you, uh, or if you, they listen to classical music and you think and you think they're a snob, I mean that's also a valid point. So. It's uh, it's not really fair to make judgments about somebody's character based on the type of music they like or 
to uh, assume that somebody has a particular level of intelligence because they listen to a certain type of music, whether that's you think that they are more or less intelligent once you find out what they listen to. Um, that's not really, that doesn't really translate. That's not an accurate way to determine somebody's character is by what kind of music they listen to. Uh, you may be a snob if you're obsessed with extreme micro-genres. So that doesn't mean that uh, because you discovered that you like some sub-sub-sub-genre of music that you're a snob. It just means uh, that this may be an indicator um, if, if, you, if you limit yourself to, I don't know, progressive, beat, core, polka, whatever. Like, if, if it gets so limited down to where there's like 20 songs in the world and you become this extreme it's 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 almost a scarcity thing it kind of relates to uh your interest in an artist being inversely proportional to their popularity it's it's kind of the opposite um you become extremely obsessed with this tiny little subset of music and that's all you listen to or that's all you shut out everything else uh that's a pretty good indicator that there's some some snobbery occurring uh, another indicator is that you constantly find yourself correcting other people on genre. Uh, one popular manifestation of this is people say, like, stop calling it Deep House. I think I saw that as a, a meme image on Facebook or Instagram or something the other day. Stop calling it Deep House. Um, I get why people get upset when they're longtime fans of a style of music and then it starts somewhere and it ends up somewhere else over time and and you don't care for it. I get how that's frustrating. Um, personally, I, for example, I am a hip-hop fan and I, I am of age, I'm 32 getting ready, well, I just turned 32 and I'm of that age where um, I was a teenager during the 90s and 90s hip-hop is amazing, right? Like 90s American hip-hop is awesome. Uh, if you're... If you're in your early 30s or late 20s and you grew up with that, you there's not many people who don't think that, <laughs> it seems, like, at least in my friend circle. We all just love that old 90s hip-hop sound. Um, but what happens is, and you know, people, uh, you know, my, my parents' generation, for example, they might say the same thing about uh, uh, Leonard Skinner or whatever band they were into at the time. And it's, it's this kind of, it's very limiting. It's you're very excited about this one kind of music and then it stopped and and you just stay in that era and you and maybe never venture out to see either what else is out there or if that's still being that type of music is still being made um a lot of people you might call this a rosy retrospection where it just maybe they enjoy that it brings them back to a certain period in their life but it makes me wonder if they actually are just enjoying music anymore in general is it just a memory that it's bringing up for them, or do they really, if if that type of music was still being made and it slapped them in the face, would they even give it a second look? I, today, in the this kind of digital climate that we're in with music and the internet and discovery, it's it boggles my mind that so many people complain about not being able to find good music or they don't make it how they used to or or whatever you know the radio has always been crappy at least here in america it's always 
generally played, you know, generic crap, whatever is for the masses. Um, and of course the good ones slip through. I'm not saying that there's never been any good pop music cause that's, that would be crazy, but it's, it's generally your mass manufactured music for the masses, right? And fine, whatever. But you know, now we have Spotify and Pandora and uh, SoundCloud and YouTube and Bandcamp and all these different ways of finding new music that's tailored to our own tastes and people don't want to take the time to look for it. They'd just rather say, eh, they don't make music like I like anymore. That's just crazy to me because more people are making music now, I think, than ever before. It's just so accessible now and it's so easy to share now. And there's really, it's, there's kind of a uh, signal to noise issue, I think, where there's, there's probably a surplus of music to be discovered and people just won't take the time to do it. And that's uh, nobody's fault but their own. You may be a snob if. You often say, I only like their old stuff, or such and such musical style is dead. You may be a snob if you think obscurity determines quality. So we've kind of gone over that a little bit, but the same idea. Uh, the more obscure it is, the more unheard of it is, the better it is. That's the, kind of the attitude of the, the general music snob. Uh, and then finally, you may be a, a snob if the music you can't stand is more important to you than the music you like. So that kind of shows where I'm where I'm going with this. I f I feel like um, it's it's a focus. It's a it's determined by what your attitude is. Um, I don't feel that it's a bad thing to have preference. Okay, but if all you're doing is spending all your time complaining and whining about crappy music instead of finding good music, um, that's kind of on you. So when I sent out this question to my VIP list, is it harmful to your DJing to be a music snob? Why or why not? You know, some people like uh, Tyson Patillo, he said, nobody likes a snob. You know, some of them were just really, really pointed, uh, uh, quick responses but then uh, so Ernestino Maestri Maestri and I'm, I'm sorry if I mess up some of these names guys but like I said these are coming from all over the world and some of them uh, a lot of my VIP listers do not speak English as a first language and so there's a little bit of translation that kind of comes into play there where they're interpreting what I'm trying to get across and I'm interpreting what they're trying to get across and I do slightly rewrite some of these so that I can read them a little more smoothly uh, because you can tell that, you know, if somebody from, you know, Kenya or wherever writes in and uh, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page and I always try to ask questions back and forth to make sure we're at an understanding. So anyhow, that being said, uh, Ernestino says, no, I like music and that's the whole idea of a DJ. So he's saying that a, a person who's a music snob really cares about music. They're passionate about music, and that's a good character of a DJ. Um, I get your point, Ernestino. I see where you're going there. Uh, Sasha Haino says, I don't think that being a music snob will negatively affect your DJing. You will just have, to ha you will just have your own style, which I think everyone should have. 
So Sasha is saying that uh, this is really where the idea of a a person or a DJ's sound or style comes from is this sort of uh, uh, snob snob approach, I suppose. Zephyr writes in and says, Personally, I don't think it's bad to be a music snob per se. You should know about all types of music, and you should know them well, but I don't think you should brag and be a jackass about it. I know almost all the elements needed to make hip-hop, trap, rap, pop, dubstep, country, indie, Edmonton, hardstyle, hardcore, and he goes on, uh, and many other types of music, but I use that info to become a music genius, not a snob. All in all, I don't think being a music snob is harmful, as long as you are not snobby about it, if that makes sense. And I think I understand what you're saying there, Zephyr. And then he says, uh, thanks again for calling me one of your VIPs. I still listen to your podcast every chance I get and read all your articles. Thank you very much, Zephyr. So I see what you're getting at. Um, he said, I don't think being a music snob is harmful as long as you're not snobby about it. And I know that seems contradictory, but I see what you're saying. I think it's important to be uh, perhaps passionate about music and to care about the style that you're presenting. But that doesn't mean that you've got to be a jerk. Jaden Muller writes in and says, no, not at all. I think being a music snob as a DJ is a good thing because you're only going to pick the music that you feel suits your tastes, and for the most part, if you have some success as a DJ, this, quote, snob quality is going to be what draws most of your crowd in. And I mean, as a DJ, of course, you're going to have to wiggle a bit to please the crowd, generally, but for the most part, the music you play is what makes you you, and you will just benefit you in the long run. Okay, so my first uh, couple of responses here kind of made a case for snobbery. So I was kind of going into this podcast episode saying why being a snob was harmful, and I had some responses saying, well, maybe it's not. So I think what I what I wanted to do is maybe differentiate being a snob from, you know, maybe there's a better term here for the, the sort of... Uh, the positive snob. <laughs> I don't really know what, what you want to call it. So I kind of started writing a list of maybe what would be a better term. Fan, aficionado, enthusiast, follower, addict, as in I'm a house addict or trans addict, expert, that sort of thing. Uh, I think I'm going to go with enthusiast. So uh, just because I have to pick one, and I think that that's maybe a little bit more positive of a term uh, if you want to say... So, for example, if you were saying, uh, if somebody came and asked you, who's your favorite DJ? And you said, oh, DJ, blah, blah, blah. And they asked you why, you'd say, well, I just really, uh, you know, he's... I appreciate how much of a music snob he is. Uh, that's probably not something that you're going to say, but you might say that you appreciate his or her enthusiasm for music, or you can tell that they're true, uh, passionate music fans and that sort of thing. So I'm picking enthusiast, and I wanted to kind of compare the two. So what's the difference between a snob versus an enthusiast? So what I came up with is that enthusiasts evangelize, is how I put it. Uh, whereas snobs berate and belittle, belittle people's musical taste. So another, another maybe more simple way to say that is that enthusiasts promote what they love while snobs bash what they hate. Okay, So it's really an, an attitude thing. It's where, where's your mind at? Where's your heart at 
when you're saying these things? Are you just being a jerk? Are you just trying to belittle people? Are you trying to lord out, lord over everyone with your superior musical taste and build yourself up? Or are you just a fan? Are you just excited to, that's why I said evangelize. It's kind of sharing the good news of good music um, with other people who are interested in hearing it. Enthusiasts honestly accept what they do and do not like, while snobs are more concerned with not being sellouts. So at a certain point, being a snob is more important than the music itself, if you if you understand what I'm saying. It's they they want to be true to whatever idea of music they've got in their head rather than just enjoying what they do and don't like. And I, I feel like that's um, just not a very good way to go about it. I think that good music should stand on its own merit. And then, of course, uh, enthusiasts look forward while snobs look behind. So I've, I put the difference between enthusiasts and snobs as uh, it's just a difference in attitude. So... Really getting down to the crux of the issue, how does it affect our DJing? If we're, if we're snobs, how does it affect our DJing? And I'm going to make just a couple of quick points, two or three points here, and then share some thoughts from the audience after each one. So one thing it does is it limits your music pool. In other words, it's uh, your musical selection that you're willing to pull from when you're DJing it just gets smaller and smaller the more of a snob you become. It's very limiting. And I, th- I think that at a certain point, uh, limitation is a good thing. I think it inspires creativity. But at the same time, you know, why cut yourself off from good music? So Marty Rose says, hate is harmful. You don't have to love every song. However, you can take away a nice thing about any piece of music if you listen close enough. When you hate a genre or song, I find that is an internal problem in yourself. I think I agree with you, Marty. Brian Brian Horrell or Horrell, I'm not sure which it is. Uh, Brian Horrell says, I personally think that good music is where it's at for me. By this, I mean not generic crap that far too many producers throw together in five minutes without any effort or concept involved. Good music comes from within your heart and soul. As for buying good music, when it's good, it's good. It just is. I agree with you, Brian. I think that uh, at a certain point, the criteria for whether or not you should like music is uh, whether or not you think it sounds good. And people put way too much focus on just about any other point that uh, just doesn't seem as important. You know, music is is created to entertain us and make us feel good or make us uh, think or to invoke some sort of emotion from us. And, uh, you know, why why make it into something else? So another way it affects our DJing is it disconnects us from our audience or our fans. So Isaiah Anderson writes and says, being a, musical, being a music snob has a lot of downfalls. Nobody wants a DJ who has a very small selection of music to play. One of the best ways to make an audience happy is to read the crowd. It's very difficult to do this if you are only playing the music you are interested in. Fair enough point, Isaiah. DJQQ writes in and says, Hi, David. Thank you for asking me this question. I often wonder this myself. The answer is, play what you love, but don't accept gigs that you think the people are maybe not as cool as you are. (laughs) I see many DJs complain that the clubber doesn't understand their music, etc. If as a pro DJ, you can't get their attention to dance with you and feel your music, I guess it's that you're not a good enough DJ. It's our job to make people... Uh, whoever is in front of us, have a great time. 
good point, DJ QQ. And I, th- I think uh, that was a funny way to put it, but I understand what you're saying. The answer is to play what you love and uh, to be choosy about the gigs that you promote and play for, because that's really uh, part of the curation process. It's not just finding good music, but it's finding appropriate gigs and finding your audience and who's going to resonate with that and then giving them uh, something that they can take home and, and cherish. So Donia or Donia Rafat? I'll go with Donia Rafat. And sorry if I'm butchering the name there. I apologize. Um, but they say, yes, I think it's harmful because it kills your charisma. I believe that charisma is one of the most important characteristics of a DJ, and the DJ being able to connect with the crowd and be something amusing to watch. Snobbery kind of destroys all that. Plus, friendly DJs earn a larger crowd by being nice to everyone or even just giving the impression that they are nice people. Um, and I'm sure that that, that varies uh, how, how effective that is. But, um, you know, my own town here in Dayton, is, it's a really good example of that, that positive networking that we talk about, the networking like a gentleman. It's, uh, you know, it's nice to be nice. And I, I think that if you want to build a scene or build an audience based on, you know, positive interaction, that you're just going to be much happier in the long run doing that, and you'll be more likely to stay motivated to keep furthering your skills and the craft and so on. So, good point, Donia. It's nice to be nice. And then, of course, uh, Daryl McWilliams says, yes, because to disregard the musical taste of others with the view that yours is superior or better is limiting to your own musical growth and development and belittling to those who experience that attitude, subsequently causing them to not want to deal with you. So kind of a similar point. You know, nobody likes to work with people like that. Uh, You can have preferences. You can have favorites. You can have a type of sound. You can have interests. But it's different than being a snob. There's just something, there's a negative connotation that comes with that word. And I, I, I feel that most of us has, have dealt with those people. You understand where, where I'm coming from here. And then finally, the, uh, the last point is that it, it stifles creativity. Uh, Modingo writes in and says, Being a music snob can only set you back if one does not understand their role at a particular event. Trying to educate a hip-hop crowd on trance is probably not the best of ideas if you're being paid to play hip-hop. I believe someone told a similar story during your Worst Gigs episode. However, having the ability to drop a track from a different crate and incorporate it into a contrasting set shows creativity and imagination. The key, though, is being intelligent enough to know if your crowd is going to be down for a shift in gears. Thank you for what you do for the community. Great response, Mo. I really appreciate that. I completely agree. I feel like being a snob kind of goes against the idea of being able to have an open mind and have all these different, uh, kind of like I say, different weapons in your DJ arsenal, different techniques and different types of music that you can go to that may not be intuitively obvious right off the bat, but just having this musical knowledge and this appreciation for music in general and this sense of empathy for other people who have different types of musical tastes really just makes you more well-equipped to handle a dance floor that's full of diverse people. So great point, Mo. Thank you so much for writing in. I want to finish off the podcast today 
with an article that was published in the New York Times magazine. And it was written by Alexandra Malotkow on April 6th, 2012. And this isn't, you know, this was in New York Times. This wasn't a DJ-oriented magazine. But I I feel like uh, it's very relevant to you guys, and I, I would like to. It's, it's a bit long, but I feel like it's got a lot of good information and a couple of good points to make. So the article is titled, Why the Old School Music Snob is the Least Cool Kid on Twitter. It's kind of a funny headline, but um, there are a lot of cool points to be made here. And uh, if you'll stick with me, I'm going to end the broadcast on this note today. My friend Lily and I met in 2004 at a showcase for a record label that bartered cassette tapes in exchange for things like drawings and telling jokes. I was there to perform some songs I had recorded on my dad's four-track using chopsticks for drumsticks. Lily was there to support her boyfriend, who was playing in a band led by our mutual friend's 13-year-old brother. We hit it off, and after that we often went together to see bands play in local, out-of-the-way venues, like the dilapidated shack down an alleyway or the basement nightclub that was perpetually flooded with toilet water. The bands were often lousy, but that didn't matter to us. What mattered to us was that no one else knew anything about them. At the time, it was very cool to know about obscure music. We were a few scant years out of the boy band slash Limp Bizkit era, and Pearl Jam clones were still proliferating, each one worse than the last, Stone Temple Pilots to Creed to Nickelback. Hyped-up bands like The Strokes were marketed to seem independent, while independent bands like Death From Above, 1979, and The Shins were being sought by advertisers and filmmakers in search of an edge. When the movie Garden State came out, The Shins, whose song New Slang, according to Natalie Portman, was going to change Zach Braff's life, were dead to us. To our minds, fake obscure was even worse than popular. Obscure knowledge was once kind of a currency. To get it, you had to be in the loop. You had to know the right people to learn about the right bands. You had to know the right record stores to hear those bands. The right record stores, like the right comic book and video stores were manned by knowledge guardians who scared the bejesus out of us, so the act of going into these stores felt kind of intrepid. Lily and I inherited an understanding, which we'd gleaned from Kurt Cobain, that corporate rock was the pits, and movies like High Fidelity taught us about the sacred tradition of knowledge passed from cool person to cool person to, eventually, us. When we got our own record store jobs, we discovered that knowledge guardian culture was pretty much exactly as depicted. We were as self-righteous and fraternal as cops, sustained by an ideology that dictated that the more obscure the band, the better. The internet existed then, but file sharing was still new, or new-ish, and there were still tons of artists you would never find online. By the time we reached our sophomore year of college, though, file sharing had gone bananas and was quickly making our music store employers go broke. Music wasn't just free, it was everywhere. You could find it on blogs, YouTube, and streaming websites, and you could read about it on Pitchfork, Wikipedia, and all music without ever having to humiliate yourself in front of anyone mean. Worse, file sharing had rendered us, the knowledge guardians, irrelevant. Within a few years, knowledge had ceased to confer any distinction, and hoarding it had become about as socially advantageous as stamp collecting. Thanks to the internet, cultural knowledge was now a collective resource, which meant that being cool was no longer about what you knew and what other people didn't. It was about what you had to say about the things that everyone already knew about. 
two months ago, Lily sent me a YouTube link to the song 212 by the Harlem-born rapper Azalea Banks. Along with the song, which, fair warning, is quite profane, Lily mentioned that everyone seemed to be posting 212 on Facebook, so I listened, and several bars in, an intern popped into my office to announce that she loved the song, and, not to brag or anything, she had been an early adopter. Viewer number 225,000. Once I got over the embarrassment of being viewer number 3 million, I realized something. The song was really good. Just as good as it had been 2,999,999 viewers ago. In other words, there is no longer any honor in musical obscurity. If you can be popular on your own terms, in other words, if you can be Arcade Fire or Bon Iver and still win a Grammy, there is really no such thing as selling out anymore unless you happen to sign a distribution deal with the Cook Brothers. I like the idea of our fans being a wide spectrum, the Black Keys' Patrick Carney told Rolling Stone for a recent cover article. Whenever anybody talks about being uncomfortable about being at a show because there's a different type of person there, that's just straight ignorance. I wouldn't want somebody like that to be a fan of us. Populism is the new model of cool. Elitists, rather than teeny boppers or bandwagon jumpers, are the new squares. There are now artists who sell out concerts while rarely getting played on commercial radio, and there are commercial radio artists whom no one in most people's hipper circles have ever heard of because they listen exclusively to the internet, like Lady Antebellum, Jake Owen, or pretty much all the so-called new country. A month ago, I was walking by the Much Music Building, that's the Canadian MTV, though there is an actual Canadian MTV, never mind, <laughs> past a line of tween girls coiled around three city blocks. They were waiting for a boy band called One Direction, which, judging from my quick on-the-spot polling, seems to be some sort of tween version of the original Mr. Snuffleupagus. No one over 14 knows who they are. Their debut album later entered the pop chart at number one. Pitchfork, the music website that is our era's Rolling Stone, made its name initially by writing obscurely about the obscure. Now, it makes itself indispensable by doing the opposite by interfacing between genres and across all levels of fame. As Richard Beck pointed out in an N Plus One article, the site serves primarily as a reviews archive, delivering the party line on each release, rather than sparking critical discourse about it. Crucially, Pitchfork exists to make sense of hip-hop and Top 40 for people who grew up listening to indie rock. A similar reading applies to sites like Gawker and the AFE Club, which are as much about telling us what to think about things as they are about telling us that those things exist in the first place. Contributors make no claim to objectivity. They're smart Alex, whose job is to stamp the dough of information. Staying current is now a wild game of whack-a-mole, and knowing one thing about everything is much more important than knowing everything about one thing. And so, Azalea Banks is a rapper who appeals to pitchfork readers. ASAP Rocky is the rapper who isn't homophobic. Lana Del Rey is the lovely waif whose dad is loaded. M.I.A. is the stylish blowhard whose dad is a former revolutionary. Having learned these lines, you can go ahead and tweet confidently about these artists, holding your own in the di great digital scrum, even if you have no idea what the artists actually sound like. If you get drawn into an argument, you can always quickly consult Wikipedia. My friend Christian, who is about a decade older than I am, has spent... More than 20 years accumulating thousands of rare garage rock records, and she gives great parties, schlepping her vinyl to and fro in a vintage carrying case. Meanwhile, another friend, who is my age and works at an ad agency, makes decent money DJing with sounds he downloads to his laptop, 
once a month, and I make a quick buck or two about doing the same. The difference between Christian and me is that I know the provenance of roughly only half the songs I play, and I live in fear that some eager fan will approach the quote DJ booth, that is the counter with my laptop on it, hoping to nerd out on some performer that I only just heard of that day via YouTube. I fear that person because I used to be that person, and I know how much the old me would have hated the current me's guts. But this guilt immediately washes away when I play the latest Azalea Banks song and everyone goes nuts. My quarrel here isn't with the idea that cool people don't know as much about stuff as they used to. If you really want to drill deep into your interests, you still have that option. You just have to accept that most of your findings will have no social value. My beef is really with the factors that give rise to this state of affairs, and I realize this beef is deeply stupid. I bridle at the idea that good stuff could be public in the first place, that I should have to share my tastes with the wider world. My love of knowledge hoarding was part snobbishness, part proprietary, and part nesting. I liked the idea that my favorite movies, books, and music are for me and a select few others, because they're special and they're part of my life. To think that everyone in the world might love them just as much makes me feel like a salt molecule in a tub of brine. Like friendship, taste should be somewhat exclusive. Your friends are the ones you choose above all the other bozos. If everybody is friends, then no one is really. The same applies to being fans of Arcade Fire. Then again, it's better to be friendly to all than to be a flat-out jerk to all but a few. And I have to admit that cultural populism is a lot healthier than the crabby elitism that used to prevail. The old way was guided by perverted logic. The fewer people who like something, the more valuable it is. While the new way is guided by sounder reasoning. The more people who like something, the more valuable it is. The downside of this is that everyone already likes what you like, but the upside is that good artists actually get their due, and a crazy cross-pollination of genres can happen that didn't seem possible before. We are living in an age when a band like Bon Iver, led by Justin Vernon, a flannel-wearing beardo who sings in falsetto, can collaborate with Kanye West, one of the world's biggest rap stars, and also win a Grammy. It's notable that Vernon's Grammy speech pretty much nailed the exact attitude we've all outgrown. Quote, when I started to make songs, I did it for the inherent reward of making songs, so I'm a little bit uncomfortable up here. He failed to acknowledge how cool it was that he was up there in the first place. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast, and try to remember that there's a difference between being a snob or an elitist and being a passionate fan of music and having a sound and wanting to share that sound with the world. I hope that you can all keep your attitudes in check, and I will try to do the same. And join us for episode 23 of the Passionate DJ Podcast next time. Take care, folks. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning.